Every year, his priests were required to make a five-day silent retreat. Last year, during my retreat, I was reading a book by the late, great Thomistic theologian, the great Father Reginald Garrigou Lagrange of the Order of Preachers. It's a book entitled The Priest in Union with Christ. There's a section that just struck me, a section that was explaining the four ends of the sacrifice of the Mass. Now, before we get into that, let's make sure we know what we understand when we say the four ends of the sacrifice of the Mass. What does that mean? Well, in this case, the word end is just a fancy uh, word for the re- It means the reason something's done, okay? End means the reason is something done. So when we talk about the four ends of the sacrifice of the Mass, we're saying, we're, what we mean is the four reasons we offer Mass. So that's pretty easy to understand. The four ends are the four reasons we offer Mass. Now, I'm going to read a long quote, and I'll make some comments. I'm more interested towards the end, but we'll get to that. That's not that important right now. I want to make a, a long quote because it's really worth thinking about. As Catholics, we go to Mass. We have to go to Mass every Sunday in the Holy Oblig- Day of Obligation. And it's worth thinking about what Father Garrigou Lagrange says here. I've edited this quote for the sake of time. Father Garrigou Lagrange speaking of the four ends of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Quote, The first end of sacrifice is adoration. Throughout the ages, men have been quick to forget their obligation to worship God, while readily paying homage to the flesh, to wealth, to the progress of science, to reason, to themselves. This neglect of Christ the Savior is not confined to unbelievers or to the indifferent, but extends to all ungrateful Christians. They love Christ our Lord, not for his own sake, but for their own selfish interests. It is not uncommon in certain parishes to find that the faithful do not go to Mass except on Sunday and never pay a visit to the Blessed Sacrament. He's writing this in 1948, so 60 years ago, basically. Christ is left alone in the Eucharist for almost the entire week, whereas each day he could be an abundant source of grace. Adoration of Christ our Savior present in the Eucharist will of itself make reparation for much ingratitude indifference, and lack of care about salvation. The second end of sacrifice is thanksgiving for all God's gifts to man, for the creation of the human race and its elevation to the order of grace and glory, for the redeeming incarnation of our Lord, for the institution of the Eucharist and the graces which flow from it, for the innumerable masses offered and communions received during the past 20 centuries for the strengthening of souls. Many people never spare a thought for these divine gifts, and thus they sink to the lowest depths of ingratitude since these gifts have been so precious and so widespread. Many people never so much as say thank you to the good God, their divine benefactor, who is the source of all the gifts in the world. Since this scourge of ingratitude is not confined to individuals, but has affected groups and societies, it's 1948, there must be collective and public thanksgiving. This is the second reason for the Eucharist and forms the basis of its name. Of course, it means thanksgiving. The third end of sacrifice is reparation for the sins committed against God, especially for the acts of sacrilege, sometimes so atrocious and clearly instigated by the devil. Remember, this is 1948, in the days 
before sacrilegious communion was basically the law of the land. In the days before everyone almost went to communion, in the days before no one almost went to confession, in days before neo-paganism, witchcraft, and Satanism existed at any measurable level whatsoever in society, and long before communion in the hand made the Blessed Sacrament so readily available for these evil groups' sacrilegious rites. God alone knows the enormity of some of these acts of sacrilege, which remind us of the treachery of Judas. In reparation for such abominable behavior, the Mass should be celebrated with reverence. This act of reparation restores to God the Father and to Christ the accidental glory of which they are deprived of by such sins and is also a source of joy to them. Public reparation wards off those heavy public chastisements of God which the world has deserved by its sins. It also pleads for mercy for sinners that they may return to the way of salvation and repent of their sins. All this is accomplished by the act of sacrifice. The fourth end of sacrifice is to request the divine help and all the graces necessary for salvation, especially the grace of final perseverance. True, this grace cannot be merited, but it can be obtained through prayer, especially the highest form of prayer contained in the actual offering of the sacrifice of the Mass. We should unite ourselves to his adoration and reparation thanksgiving. The value of our own acts are thus increased beyond all measure. And here's the part that really struck home. Even after Mass, Christ's intercession continues in the Eucharist. We should join in this prolonged act of prayer by making our own prayer less individualistic and more concerned with the Church, its bishops and priests, that God may give them the necessary zeal and courage, with the peace and concord of nations, with the freedom of the Church and the sanctification of souls, with the conversion of sinners and unbelievers. Such prayer is in harmony with the intentions of God, and if it is offered by several at the same time, humbly, confidently, and perseveringly, it is certain to bear abundant fruit. These, then, are the four ends of sacrifice, and their consideration is not without its practical value, because it shows how we remember, in the first place, God's unending life by the act of adoration, second, the past by our act of thanksgiving for gifts received and by our act of reparation for sins committed, and finally, the future by our request for divine help. Close quote, Father Garagou Lagrange. So the four ends of the sacrifice of Mass are first, the adoration of God, that's as opposed to all forms of idolatry, that's putting God first, dethroning whatever we have in our hearts, whether it's ourselves, money, sex, power, whatever it might be, dethroning that, putting God first, adoration. Second, thanksgiving to God, thanking him for all his gifts of nature and grace that he's poured out so generously. Third, reparation for all the sins committed against him. We all have lots of them, except for the Blessed Virgin. And fourth, requesting divine help for all the graces necessary. So it's adoration, thanksgiving, reparation, requesting divine help. And under the category divine help, let's hear part of that key section once more. Even after Mass, Christ's intercession continues in the Eucharist. We should join this prolonged act of prayer by making our own prayer more in, less individualistic and more concerned with the Church, its bishops and priests, that God may give them the necessary zeal and courage, which the peace and concord of nations, with the freedom of Church and sanctification of souls, with the conversion of sinners and unbelievers, 
Such prayer is in harmony with the intentions of God if it's offered by several at the same time humbly, confidently, and perseveringly, it is certain to bear abundant fruit. What really struck me is the way the great Gary Lagrange expressed the power of common prayer, the way he expresses this theological truth, that if after Mass we connectively unite ourselves in prayer with Christ's intercession, the most blessed sacrament, whether he's still really present in us or he's certainly still really present in the tabernacle, so in the tabernacle in our souls, and if we humbly and confidently unite ourselves in prayer, those prayers are going to bear a lot of fruit, especially in those areas. Conversion of sinners and unbelievers. And we're surrounded by an ocean of them, huh? Sanctification of souls to help us grow in holiness. Freedom of the church. Peace among the nations. And zeal and courage for bishops and priests. And how desperately we need that. That really struck me. So I was talking to another priest about this. He happens to be sitting in the confessional right now. And he told me, Padre, you need to check out what St. Louis de Montfort says about that very topic in his book, The Secret of the Rosary. So I did. And here's an edited quote from St. Louis de Montfort. Okay. It ought to motivate everybody here to keep saying that family rosary. The great St. Louis de Montfort, quote, God is very pleased to have people gathered together in prayer. All the angels and the blessed unite to praise him unceasingly. Our Lord expressly recommended this practice to his apostles and disciples, and he promised, that's a promise from God, he promised that whenever there would be at least two or three gathered in his name, he would be there in the midst of them. That is why the first Christians met so often to pray together, in spite of the persecutions of the emperors who had forbidden them to assemble. They're forbidden under the pain of death. They preferred to risk death rather than to miss their gatherings where our Lord was present. Praying in common is of the greatest benefit to us, because when we pray in common, the prayer of each one belongs to the whole group, and make all together one prayer, so that if one person is not praying well, someone else in the same gathering who is praying better makes up for his deficiency. One who says his rosary alone only gains the merit of one rosary, but if he says it with 30 other people, he gains the merit of 30 rosaries. That's the law of public prayer. How profitable, how advantageous this is. Think about that. When you're saying the rosary here before Mass, how many people are saying that together? That's a lot of merit. Back to the saint. Public prayer is more powerful than private prayer to appease the anger of God and call down his mercy. And the church, guided by the Holy Spirit, has always advocated in times of disasters and general distress. Parenthetical remark. Think about the Battle of Lepanto. Remember, the popes made it clear that the reason for the victory at Lepanto over the Turks was because prayers from the confraternity of the rosary. It's that powerful. Okay, back to St. Louis. Finally, when we pray in common, it's far more formidable to the devil because in this public prayer, it is an army that is attacking him. He can often overcome the prayer of an individual, but if it is joined to that of others, the devil has much more trouble getting the best of it. It is easy to break a single stick, but if you join it to others to make a bundle, it cannot be broken. Soldiers don't end together in an army to overcome their enemies. Immoral people often come together for parties of debauchery. Evil spirits join forces in order to make us lose our souls. Why, then, should not Christians join forces to have Jesus Christ present with them, to appease the anger of God, to drown on his grace and mercy on us, and to frustrate and overcome the devil more forcefully? Close quote, St. Louis de Montfort. Key points. God is very pleased to have his people gather together in prayer. When we pray in common, the prayer of each one belongs to the whole group. 
It makes just one prayer so that if one person is not praying well, someone else in the same group is praying better, makes up for the deficiency. One who says his rosary alone only gains the merit of one rosary, but if he says it with 30 other, he gains the merit of 30 rosaries. When we pray in common, it's far more formidable to the devil because in this public prayer, it is an army that is attacking him, and he is a formidable enemy. So all that been rolling around the back of my mind for about a year, and I hadn't done anything about it. And this summer, I stopped in Carmel and visited our own sister Mary P. of the Cross. We're sitting in the speak room. Uh, you're talking to her through girls. This is already intimidating. There's these two girls about that far apart, these iron, you know, you have to move your head around because you're looking through that. It's already intimidating. And almost at the beginning of our conversation, she asked me real sweetly, uh, you know, uh, Father, are the people making a good Thanksgiving after Mass? Well, when she asked me that, was, uh, I started stammering and making excuses. Now, this is a parenthetical note. You women, if you're ladylike, if you're like her, you have no idea of your moral power. I'd rather get charged by a bull, and I've been charged by plenty of them, than have a cloister done ask me a sweet little question like that. You know, there's no escaping. Okay. Anyway, I took her question as an actual grace. You know, I took it because I realized she doesn't know this, but I thought this is a warning directly from God, uh, to me, about something I'm going to have to answer for my particular judgment. Anyway, last part of the puzzle. An exorcist I know has a possessed person who he tells me can't be delivered until enough people pray in common for this poor person. Evidently, during the exorcism, the exorcist beats it out of the demons to tell what precisely is required to deliver a person. And in this case, it's enough people praying in common for this person's freedom. Well, how hard is that to relieve somebody's suffering? You talk about Good Samaritan, that's not very hard. Okay, all this got me thinking about how we could become spiritual terrorists. Spiritual terrorists, what are you talking about, Father? We're all stuck in this ridiculous culture of death, this culture overflowing with all this filth and sin and demonic activity. We find ourselves here, but if right after Mass... We pay in common for the conversion of sinners, for the conversion of unbelievers, for our own growth and holiness, for freedom in the church, for peace among nations, for zeal and courage. And the bishops and priests, civil leaders, think about the effect we can have. Remember what St. Louis Montfort says, when we pray in common, it's far more fundamental to the devil because in this public prayer, there's an army that is attacking him. And believe me, he's the prince of this culture of death. That's who's standing behind all this nonsense. What does this have to do with becoming spiritual terrorists? Well, if we pray like this, our prayers are like little bombs or big bombs going off in the spiritual world. By the grace of God, we're going to be messing up his wickedness and snares. We'll be releasing grace to convert sinners. We'll be releasing grace to save souls. We'll be holding back divine punishments. We'll be releasing grace to give spinal implants to bishops and priests and civic leaders that need it. In the present darkness of this culture of death, each one of these things is just like a terrorist act, huh? We'll th be throwing wrenches in the gears of the enemy. So it's actually like being spiritual terrorists attacking the culture of death. Because when we pray in common, it's far more fatal to the devil because in this public prayer is an army that's attacking. So what I propose is real easy. After Mass, when I get back, but right before I bless all the water and all that, I'll, I'll, I'll take off my vestments and all that, and come out here 
and, and then ask everybody to unite themselves in prayer to our Lord and each other. Then one item at a time, I'll just read a short list of items to pray for. For example, first one, deliverance for this poor individual who's suffering from demons. Pause briefly. Then everybody silently. We don't need any talk or anything. This is prayer, what we want to do. That way we're all praying on the same topic. That's the only reason for me reading it. We do that silently. Each one of us can talk to our Lord and ask him to have mercy and mercifully grant the request. Then I read the next item, pause, and in union with Christ and each other, once again, we each silently ask our Lord to mercifully grant this request. Okay, Just a short list, but remember we can expect good results if we humbly and confidently unite ourselves with Christ our Lord and each other in prayer. Let's have a quick review before we close. We've seen there's four ends, four reasons why we offer the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. First, the adoration of God. Again, that's opposed to idolatry. We're putting God first. Second, thanksgiving to God. We're thanking him for all the gifts of nature and grace he's poured down upon us. Okay. Third, it's reparation for all the sins committed against him. And fourth, it's requesting divine help for all the graces necessary. We've seen that uniting ourselves in prayer is incredibly powerful in the first place, since it's so pleasing to God. In the second place, since the prayer of each individual belongs to the whole group and makes one prayer, so even if one of us is weak, the others will lift him up, huh? make up for that. And when we pray in common, it's more formidable than the devil because in public prayer, it's an army attacking him. Let's really strive to be spiritual terrorists in this culture of death. Let's really strive to mess up the wickedness and snares the devil, to release grace for the conversion of sinners, to release grace to help souls grow in holiness, to hold back divine punishments, to release grace, to give spinal implants to the civil leaders and the bishops and priests. When we pray in common, it is far more formidable to the devil because in this public prayer, it is an army that is attacking him.